Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. So let's jump into the Word of God here, and let's see, let's see, what, the, let's see what, the, what the Lord has for us, amen? That, looking at that green building out there reminded me of all the green I saw this weekend. Did any of you guys enjoy St. Patrick's Day? Huh? I'm telling you, as we and my wife were walking around Derry on Friday afternoon, and it is absolutely a shame what, how we celebrate. I say we because how many of y'all know I'm an Irish citizen now? Glory to God. Hallelujah. But how we celebrate St. Patrick's Day in this nation is absolutely insane. I mean, it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I see people stumbling out onto the streets already. I'm looking online and seeing things, and how Chicago, how they're wanting to, they're wanting to dye the river green just one more time, and, and showing all the different recipes on how to make green beer. I mean, church, it is absolutely insane. St. Patrick would be rolling over in his grave. I mean, the apostle to Ireland, the one that, that brought the gospel to this land, and this is how we celebrate this man. Are you kidding me? I'm down, churches. It's time for us to wake up. It's time for us to wake up. But see, this is the day. This is the age that we're living in. You know, I was talking to my pastor this week, and, and we're chatting. I'm, you know, praise the Lord. You know, he's going to be here in just a, in about a month or so. I mean, are y'all ready for our conference we're going to have? I'll tell you guys, you begin, you begin to start believing God for these things. Believe God for now, from, from May 31st until that, whatever that Sunday is, I think it's June the, the 4th. Believe God for something to happen in here. Believe God for, for a manifestation of his presence. Believe God for, for the gifts to be flowing. Believe God for something to happen out of the ordinary. Ordinary is boring. They want the supernatural, you know, to begin to flow, amen? But we're sitting there chatting, we're, we're talking about the days and the age that we're living in, and, and we got to talking about all the prophecies that, that, have, been, that have been fulfilled. I mean, Joe Morris, he, he's, an, he's an amazing prophet back in the States, but he has a book that just came out, and it tells about all these prophecies that have been fulfilled since 1948, really. I mean, there's over, I think there's over 78 different prophecies that have come to pass that have been prophesied over 2,000, 3,000 years ago that are coming to pass right now. I mean, many of them, many of them happened, you know, here in the last couple years. I mean, just to give you a few of them, you know, it started off when Israel became a nation in 1948. And then when, when they won Jerusalem back in the Six-Day War in 1967. And then how many of y'all know that the, the Hebrew language, which was a dead language like Latin, has been restored to where a whole nation speaks Hebrew now. A whole nation does. You say, well, that's not really a big deal. Is it? How many people speak Irish in this nation? I mean, you go to a couple little pockets there in, in the West Coast and people can speak fluent Irish, but, but it's difficult to bring back a language. And they have done it. Why? Because it was prophesied. It was spoken forth. Your, this language will come back to fruition. It's going to die. It's going to come back. And it has. Absolutely amazing. It's absolutely amazing. You had people, you know, all, everyone's been gathered back to, to, to Israel in, the, in these last days. It's, it's, been, it's absolutely amazing some of these things that have taken place. Some of my, some of my favorite things that, that have happened, prophecies that have been fulfilled, are they found fish in the Dead Sea. How many of you know fish can't live in the Dead Sea? But see, it was prophesied, you're going to see fish in the Dead Sea. You're already seeing them. 
right? There was foxes that have, that have come up on the Temple Mount showing how desolate the Temple Mount is. That's happened. That was, that was prophesied in Lamentations. That happened this last year. I'm telling you, there's some amazing things that have taken place. How I many of you know the Bethlehem Star came out last year, the first time in 2,000 years? Hmm? How many of y'all know that the, that the temple baths got filled up last year, the first time since the Christ was, was, was persecuted and died? How many of y'all these things have just had in the day and the age we're living in? Listen, my favorite one of all is in 2008, uh, Animal Planet, if you've ever heard of that back in the States, they, they ran this episode talking about all these predatory birds that begin to migrate over to Israel. 173 different species of predatory birds started showing Showing up in Israel. Why did they show up in Israel? Because it's prophesied after the Ezekiel 8, uh, 38 war takes place, when, when the greatest revival takes place, Jesus is going to come take his church out of here. Then there's going to be a war that's in Ezekiel 38. It's going to take place. All of the nations are starting to set themselves up for it right now. And when all these people get, get dead, when all these people die from this war, what's, what's going to happen? God calls the fowls of the air to clean up the mess. He calls the fowls of the air. What's happening? The fowls of the air are already showing up, breeding in Israel right now. Not native to that land. They're showing up, breeding, multiplying. Why? Because they're about to clean up in the war that's coming. I mean, not only that, you know, in, in Armageddon, God calls, calls it seven years later in Armageddon, right before he comes back and sets up his throne here for a thousand years. What happens? He calls on the fowls of the air to clean up the mess again. I mean, amazing. There's 70, 70 plus uh, prophecies that have come to pass. These are just what a handful I just gave you. It's amazing. Why? Because this Bible is truth. We see, when God speaks something into existence, it happens. It happens. Full stop. Now, not only that, not only is, is these prophecies that came forth in the Word, listen, you can, go, let's, you can go over here to 2 Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and you can see the Holy Spirit begin to, to speak through Paul to one of his spiritual sons about things that are happening right now in this day and age we're living in. You say, what are those verses? Well, I'm glad you asked, right? Because this is something we talk about quite often in this church. I don't know, since COVID, we probably have you know, ministered on this four or five times, but, but if you remember in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul, by the Holy Spirit, speaks and he says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. How many of y'all know we live in those last days? Why? Because perilous times are among us. The church, ever since Jesus left, has known that there were the end days. Listen, if they were in the end days 2,000 years ago, I'm telling you, we're in it now. We are in it now. He says, you shall know because perilous, perilous Time shall come. And he starts listing off some of them. He goes, men shall be lovers of themselves. Men shall be lovers of themselves. I'm telling you, it blows me away this day and age we live in. I'm, just in my short 45 years I've been alive here on this earth, I've seen such a shift in this world to where, to where pride is so prevalent in man right now that what do they want to do? They have to, they have to find a lover that looks exactly like themselves. I don't, I don't want anything like that. That woman, I want, I want a woman. Why she don't look like me? I'm perfect. I want something to look just like me. Why? Because men are lovers of themselves. Men will be lovers of themselves. Covetous. One, what other people have, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. You're like, oh, I don't know about that. Well, listen, just walk outside the street today and see how children speak to their parents. 
Go to schools nowadays and see how children speak to their parents. When I was a kid, you'd be picking yourself up off the floor. Hmm? I talked to my mom a certain way. My dad would knock me out. Why? Because there is no disobedience. I'm telling you, my children, there is no disobedience in our house. Hmm? Those things don't have, why? Because they're, they're going to be raised godly children. I mean, if it's not only in the natural out there, look, look in the church. I mean, people hold spiritual parents like they're, like they're nothing nowadays. Disrespect them, turn on them, run away from them. Oh, I don't like what he, what he ministered that day. I'm out of there. Hmm? It's insane the days that we live in. Unthankful, unholy, unholy. Church, I think Pastor Jason said this a, a, a couple weeks ago. He may have set it up in, up in Derry. But listen, church, you can't even get up and begin to speak about holiness without the church starting to say you're a legalist now. When the word tells us, be holy. Because I'm holy. This is what God's saying to us. And now that's, man, that's just legalism. That's just legalism. It's a sign of the times. He says, without natural affections, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, meaning they have no self-control or restraint. They're fierce despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures... More than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure. Don't even get me started on this one. We could, we, could, we could be here all day long how people are loving pleasures of this world instead of loving the things of God. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me speak like real plainly to you this morning. God hates sin. He doesn't disapprove of it. It's not that he's not in favor of it. He hates sin. Why? Because it destroys you. It destroys you, and he hates anything that destroys what he loves. He hates anything that destroys what he loves. I mean, it's like, I, I mean, people look all the time like, I don't understand how, how can people that were serving God fool the Holy Ghost, how can they be walking in the direction and everything's about God? And then it's like snapping your fingers, they're going in a different direction rebelling against the things of God. Oh, God's not really that important anymore. How, how, how do these things happen? I'll tell you simply, church, we, we have no fear of the Lord anymore. There's no fear of the Lord in the church anymore. Now listen, I don't have the time to explain that. Listen, listen, I've been teaching on it for about four or five, uh, four or five six weeks up in Derry. I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. It'll change your life. It'll change your life. It'll change your life in the measure that God can begin to pour out his glory upon you. If, if we'll come back and begin to receive, according to uh, Isaiah 11:2, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. It's, in, it's already on the inside of you. We just got to stop rebelling against it. I'm not talking about being in fear of him, like being scared of him. I'm talking about having him in complete honor and complete respect, doing the things that he's asked you to do, being completely obedient, hating the things that he hates, and loving the things that he loves. It's the fear of the Lord. It's the fear of the Lord. How do people walk away? It's the fear of the Lord. They have none of it. Amen. And then he says here in verse 5, he says, you know, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. I find this a real interesting verse here. And you probably heard this probably at least a hundred times probably around here. But listen, church, 
We are, in, we are living in a day and age where, listen, Pastor Jason and myself, we are going to remind you and we're going to remind you and we're going to remind you of these things over and over and over again. Why? Not because we think you're stupid, but because we want these things to be fresh on your memory to where what? You don't slip off into the things that the Bible's telling you is right in front of your face. Right? Because see, the adversary's putting these things in front of your face. Why? To get you to trip up, to fall into And then he's trying to hold us off of these things. He says, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. Having a form of godliness. Having enough religion in their lives, but see, beginning to to walk away from the real Jesus and begin to make a Jesus, a counterfeit Jesus, in the image of what they want him to be and who they desire to create him to be. How many of you know anything, any Jesus outside of this right here is a counterfeit? I don't care what church you came from. I don't care what your favorite pastor said. Any, any Jesus that does not resemble the Jesus of this word is an absolute counterfeit. And you have no right, church, we have no right as the body of Christ to begin to make Jesus, to conform Jesus into, into, the, into, this, into, the golden, into the golden goat or the golden lamb or the golden whatever you want it to be. We have no, we have no right to, to, to make him into the image that we want him to be. He, he cannot be the idol. I mean, he cannot be an idol in our lives. We've we, we got to allow these things to get, to get separated and separated from us. This is the epitome of religion. Jesus molds you. You don't mold Jesus. You understand that? We got to permit Jesus to mold us into who he desires for us to be. We don't mold him into what we want him to be. He's God. We're servants. He's God. We're children. He's Abba. We're his children. He calls the shots. We're obedient to it. I mean, we're obedient to it. This, this is the gospel church. And I think we've gotten, we've gotten so far away from some of these things. Listen, church, why does he say stay away from these people? This deceptiveness is contagious. Deception is contagious. And he says, listen, I want you to stay away from these people. Why? Because I don't want that stuff to get on you and move you out of the path that I have for you. Because it's contagious. He says, stay away from these people. Stay away from these things. I'm telling you, that's a harsh word. I thought we're supposed to go out and minister to these people, not if it's going to get on you. Listen, he calls us to go into the world, but see, he doesn't call you to go in the world to let something come on you. He tells you to go into the world to change, to reveal the light so it can change where you walk into. Oh, come on, church. This, this, this is what we're called to do. This is what we're supposed to be doing. Like, why the apostasy? It's deceptive. If it wasn't deceptive, people, people wouldn't, would stay away from it. Amen? But it lures you. It lures you to get you off track. And the Lord says, stay away from these things. But listen, church, you know, my, myself, Jesus, we love you too much for you to walk off the proverbial cliff. So what are we going to do? We're going to confront these things, and we're going to continue to confront these things to where what? To where you can become who he's called to do. We want to confront things to where what? To the light can shine and start to purge the darkness that many of us have got ourselves, you know, intertwined in. Amen. Now listen, as I say these things, 
<laughs> in the direction I'm going today. Listen, church, don't think I'm coming here thinking I see something wrong in the church and there's things that are off. And man, you, know, you guys are just like the church at Thyatira. Listen, listen, that, that's, not, that's not the direction I'm coming at today. Amen. That's not the direction the Lord is desiring for us to, to go. But listen, I'll tell you, if that is you, Take a hold of the word and allow it to correct the, the lie that you have adopted in your life, right? But this is not the direction that the Lord is asking us to do. What more or less what he's wanting us to do is, is become a community, to become a house, to become a family that's mature. Amen. A mature people, a mature house to where we can hold each other accountable to where when we see darkness slip in and we see the snare get in place in front of someone or someone that's already stepped in it, we can help them out and love. And we, that we can help them out. We can get them out of these places that, uh, that people end up stepping into. Now, as I say these things, listen, church, this does not give any permission in this house for, for the, the sin police to put on their badges and start going around and start pointing fingers at people. That, that's not what I'm talking about. Right? we got to be people that are led by the Holy Spirit in everything that we're doing. You know, listen, I'll tell you something my pastor told me years ago. You know, when, when I'm sitting there, I was, I, was, you know, I was in leadership over a pretty large ministry, and there's some things that I need to bring some correction in. And I was all geared up, amped up, ready to go do it. And he said, listen, listen, son. He goes, listen. He goes, don't be too quick to bring correction. Give Holy Spirit room to speak to people. Pray for these people. Give room for Holy Spirit to speak to them. Why? Because, see, if you speak to them, listen, as long as they like you, as long as they're in the ministry, as long as in their church, listen, they're going to do what you ask them to do because they want to get hooked up. But, see, if they get offended and walk off, what are they going to do? They're going to go back to doing exactly what they were doing before you told them to stop. Right? But see, if the Holy Spirit begins to speak to people, if he brings forth a revelation, if he confronts them and gives them a rebuke, what happens? Listen, it'll last forever. It'll last forever. It means we got to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work, right? Now turn with me there to, to, to Hebrews chapter 12. Because listen, church, you know, when we talk about correction, we talk about rebuke. Listen, these are, these are things we need to grab a hold of. We, we ought to get excited when these things happen. You say, why is that? Because our God loves us so much, he'll give it to us. I mean, but see, we're trained up out by the world outside of there. It says, listen, if someone's rebuking you, if someone's talking negative to you, if someone's not in agreement with what you're doing, man, man, oh, all hell's broken loose. All, everything's wrong. No, that, this is a good place to be. Let, listen to what it says here in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. It says, and you, have you forgotten the exhortation which speaks unto you as, as, uh, unto as children? It says, my son, despise not the chastening or the training up of the Lord, nor, nor faint when you're rebuked of him. For, when the Lord, for the Lord loves who he trains up and he chastens and, he, and, and who he scourges, who he disciplines, every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with them as, as sons. And if your sons... In whom, he, in, in whom the Father has chastened not. If you're not a son, if he's not chastening you is what it's saying. In verse uh, 8 it says, But if you, without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, he goes, then you're bastards and you're not sons. He goes, he goes then, you're, then, 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 then you're, you really don't have a father, right? You're, you're illegitimate if you, if you aren't getting any chastening. So what am I saying, church? When, when some of those things start coming forth, listen, we need to have our ears open to receive what the Lord has to say. Why? Because God loves us enough to do these things. I mean, I can remember, I can remember reading this when, when I was, a, when I was a, a, a younger Christian, and I was, I was reading this word, and I was like, you know, the encouragement... 
What do you mean the encouragement or the exhortation when someone's speaking, uh, when, when you're getting rebuked or, or getting chastised as a son? It's like, how, how is that encouraging? You say, why is that? Man, as a, as a young Christian, man, if, if any of y'all don't know my story, listen, I had some strong leaders in my path. You say, why is that? Because I have a strong personality and I needed someone to kind of push me and make sure I was in the right direction. Why? Because I did what I wanted to do and I was getting chastised. I was getting rebuked out by every single leader that got put in my place. But I'm telling you, I'm thankful for it now. But back then, man, it, it wasn't very comfortable. It's like, oh man, can I even walk a straight line without someone sitting there pointing the finger at me? But thank God someone loved me enough to discipline me. Thank God someone enough to, to speak life on the inside of me. Thank God, you know, God was there to do these things. Because if it wasn't these spiritual leaders, I learned to where I could hear from Holy Spirit. And even today, if something's not right, if my voice comes off you know, with my wife in an attitude that it shouldn't be or, or to someone walking down the street or whatever it may be, instantly, Holy Spirit, you know what he does? He rebukes me. But see, if you don't like those things, you'll just ignore it. And we get ignored, things get calloused. We gotta begin to receive these things. Why? Because he loves you enough. He loves you enough to, to try to correct you and get you going down the right path. You know, the Lord gave me an example on this to help me understand that, that when he was correcting and he was doing these things, he was doing it in love and not because he hated me. And this is the example. He said, you know, he, he, he reminded me of my fathers I have. I have a birth father and I have a stepfather. One is like how the world operates and one's like how the kingdom operates. Right? See, my stepfather, my parents got a divorce when I was three years old, maybe four years old. And my parents got married to my stepdad. His name is Pat. Many of you have probably met him. He's been over here, I think, once. i got to have a talk to him about that. But he, me and him are very close. We're very close. He, he is my daddy. He is the one that raised me. I talk like him. I act like him. I'm stubborn like he is. I have a lot of his attributes that the Lord is trying to work out, <laughs> amen, of my life. But he is a good man. Now, he is the one that would discipline me. My, my mom, she wouldn't do it, right? Because Probably because my attitude or whatever it may be. But she, but she didn't discipline me. My dad was always the one that disciplined me. He wasn't one that came with a big stick. No, he'd just say, sit down, son. We're going to have a little chat. You know, and this is how you disappointed me. This is, this is how you disappointed me. This is how you're disappointing God. He'd just lay all these things out for me. And when, and when he did these things in love, you know what it did? It changed my direction. I wasn't trying to just get away with something. I just stopped doing it. Why? Because I loved him. And I, and I received what he had to say. But see, on the other hand, my birth father, here a man I never really had a relationship with. But when I got to be a teenager, you know, he wanted to have us around. Why? Because I guess you're cooler as a teenager than you are as a little kid, I guess, apparently. You know, but see, this guy, when I get around him, see, he didn't want to be a father. He wanted to be a mate, right? He, he just wanted to be one that could have the good crack with you, right? So, so anything that was foul, anything that was unrighteous, he tried to, to reveal to me and tried to get me to do it with him. Like, drink, hey, let's go do these things. Smoke a little weed, let's go do these things. Women, all these things are great. Let's, let's do everything that's unrighteous. Why? So I can ruin my life just like he did. Just like he did. But see, it didn't take a genius for me to figure out as a teenager, you know what? I don't know if that guy loves me very much. Because he seems to want me to do the same things that destroyed his life. And then this one over here is trying to correct me and get me going down, going down the correct path. Right, which one was operating in love? 
The one that brought correction or the one that brought forth immorality? I'm the one that brought forth correction. It's a, it's a, it's a, church, it's as simple as this. I'm going to tell you something, church. True love, true love will always confront that which is lost. True love will always confront that which is backslidden. True love will always confront things that are off. Why? Because it's more concerned with the person. It's more concerned with their life and their salvation than it is about their feelings. Hmm? Do we really love people? Hmm? You really love your children, you'll be corrected them. Hmm? Do we love, do we love, we love, we love, keeps people from going off the cliff. But we got to love. It says here that the Lord corrects his sons. And you're not a son if you haven't been corrected. That word son there is the Greek word weos. That talks about a mature son. So what is the Lord saying here? I correct people because I'm trying to birth you into maturity as a son or a daughter. So I'll correct you, trying to birth you into this place of maturity. So, so, so if God corrects us, if he disciplines, how does he do it? See, we, we, need, we need to get these things clear. How does God actually discipline us? Listen, church, he does not discipline us by putting cancer on you. He doesn't discipline you by giving you a stroke. He doesn't, give, he doesn't discipline by you by getting you fired from your job. He doesn't get you disciplined from burning your house down or, or having the bank repo your house. He doesn't discipline you by taking one of your children or taking one of your grandchildren. That's not God who does those things. That's not how he disciplines. How do you know that? Well, in John chapter 10, 10, it is the dividing line in Scripture. If we'll, if we'll learn to read through the New Testament and find out who Jesus is, we can read through the Old Testament with the lenses of Jesus and find out who God is. See, Jesus said, it is the thief that cometh. It is Satan that cometh. It's the false teachers and the false prophets that come to do what? To steal, to kill, and destroy. What do they want to do? They want to steal the word out of your life. They want to kill your relationships, and they want to destroy you. They want to kill you. This is what a false teacher does. This is what Satan does. This is what the thief does. But Jesus comes on the backside and says, but I have given you. I have come to give you life. Not just a pinch of life. Not just a tad of life. I've came to give you life so abundantly that it begins to flow through you like a river into the people you come in contact with. Why? Because everything's an inward, outward flow. Well, then how in the world do these things keep, how does hell keep coming against me? Well, the word tells us also in Romans 6.23 that the wage of sin is death. You want to participate with the world? You want to participate with the things the world has for you? You will have a paycheck, a reward for the things you've been doing. And Satan will make sure you have it. This is why we do what? Romans chapter 8, we live by the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It makes us free. It supersedes us. It makes us live on top of the law of sin and death. Sin and the law of sin and death doesn't disappear. But there is a way you can live above it. But there is a way you can live above it. Right? Are you following me, church? So how does God correct us? Simple. He corrects us by his word. Man, I don't get a whole lot of correction. Are you in his word? He corrects us by his spirit. I don't, get, I don't hear a lot from the Holy Spirit. Are you, are you, are you getting intimate with the Holy Spirit? Because this is how God corrects us. This is how he trains us up. This is how he reveals his love to us. 
in his word and in his spirit. And listen, if you're, if you're ignorant and not listening to those, you know what? Maybe he'll send a mate across your path. Maybe he'll send a family member across your path. Maybe he'll send your neighbor across your path. Maybe he'll send a spiritual leader across your path. Why? To help correct you and get you out of the ditch so you don't get trapped and caught in it. Amen? Amen. But listen, church, I need you to hear this. And we'll begin to shift directions a little bit here, but as much as God loves you, he gave up everything for you. But he will not release you into your destiny if you are rebelling against him, if you're rebelling against the word, if you're rebelling against his Holy Spirit. He can't. Why? Because he loves you too much to put you out there to, to, to allow something to destroy you and pull you away from him. Holy Spirit loves you too much, amen, to, put, to not fulfill every single carnal desire you have in your life. He loves you too much. Why? Because he knows many of these things will have us just walk away from him. I know so many people come to church, man, amazing things happen, you know. They, oh, to believe God with us for this inheritance to come in. Man, I'm going to be such a big giver. When this happens, all oh, glory to God. This one business deal when it comes to, man, everyone, we're getting into agreement. Glory to God. And they're, they're, they're full throttle for the things of God. And then what happens? They actually get what they're believing even God for. And you know what the amazing thing is? You never see him again. You never see him again. Why? Because they want what God can give them, but do they really want him? Do they really want him? I'm telling you, God will do his best not to, not to get you down that, down that path that's going to harm you, that's going to destroy you, church. Hmm. First John 4, you know, he says God is love. But if we're not if we're not revealing love, if we're not operating in love ourselves, it says we don't know him. Why? Because he is love. If you're in union with love, listen, church, God is love. Jesus is love. Holy Spirit is love. But love will bring forth a, co a confrontation to reveal the goodness of our God. Amen? Hmm. Let's go here. Y'all got a few more minutes? Because I'm just getting warmed up, church. <laughs> Let's go with me to John 4. And this is, this is a different direction that the Lord has given me to minister. Given me to minister these verses here. But I believe, I pray that you're going you're gonna to grab a hold of what the Lord has to say. Here in uh, John chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, let me just jump on down. Uh, jump on down to, to verse four. And when John when John left uh, when John left Judea, he was he was on his way up to Galilee. And in verse four, it says, and he it says he must needs to go to or through Samaria. Now listen, let me, let me I gotta lay down a little bit of foundation here so you can kind of understand what Jesus was doing. Now, it, it says he must needs to go to Samaria. Why why did he must needs to go there? Because the Holy Spirit was leading him to go there. Why did the Holy Spirit have to lead him to go there? Because Jews didn't go to Samaria, right? They didn't enjoy Samaria. They didn't like Samaria. They didn't want to have anything to do with Samaria. Why? It wasn't Samaria part of Israel. Well, yes and no. Yes, it was, but no, it wasn't. You say, what is Samaria? Because many of us have read, read this in the Bible. Listen, when, 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 the kingdom was, when the kingdom of Israel was divided in two, the northern kingdom, which was called the kingdom of Israel, it became Samaria. That's where the capital was, right? And then you had, then you had Judea, which was where Jerusalem was. It was the southern kingdom, 
Right, But by the time the Romans came here, you had Samaria, you had Judea on the bottom, then Samaria right on the top of it, and then you had Galilee right, right on the north side of that where Jesus was from, right, right on the north side of that. Right? So you had to either walk around Samaria or go right through it to get to Galilee if you're going to go, if you're gonna go uh, participate or go hang out in that area. Now, now, in Ga- now why do people not like Samaria? Because if you read through the words, you'll find out that they call them half-Jews. They called them half-breeds. You know, they, they called them dogs. You know, why did the Jews call these people that? Why? Because they, did, they didn't like them. Why? Because they didn't, they didn't think they were pure. They thought they were unclean. See, when Babylon came in and, and defeated the northern kingdom, when it defeated Israel, an interesting thing happened. You know, the king of Babylon, he came in, and what did he do? He, he, the people he killed, you know, he obviously left them. And then he pulled most of the nation and brought them up there to Babylon, either to serve, to be enslaved, or just to live, Right? And then what he do? He put some of the people from Babylon to go down in that area. Why? So he could, so could change the culture into Babylonian culture. Why? Because if you can change the culture, it will change the way a place can influence things. Listen, you need to hear that, church. Because see, if you can change the culture in Ireland, amen, it will change Ireland forever. But see, if you want to be like Ireland but have a little bit of Jesus, you'll never change anything. But see, they had these things figured out two, 3,000 years ago that if you can change the culture, it'll never go back to looking the same. Samaria, even in the day when Jesus came back, it was still Samaria. It never was Israel again. Right? And then we know that, that Judea, they, they begin to sin and rebel against the things of God. You know, so Babylon, they came down and they defeated them too. And then what did they do? They, they took the people out of there. They left some of the sick, the maimed, and then they left some priests there, right, to look after people. And then they sent their people from Babylon down there. And what did they do? They started intermingling, started breeding, and started living their lives, right? Because this is the people that are around us, right? And what happens? They released, you know, Babylon released the Israelites to go down and build the temple, build the city back up. And when they came down, they saw all these people that are intermarried and intermingled. And they said, what, what's the crack with this? Our God says that you can, it, only Jews can marry Jews. We can't marry anything outside of that. Why? Because he didn't want them to get tainted with foreign religion. So they said, you're out. They kicked these people out. So they, they moved on up to Samaria. They're, they're, they're hanging out in Samaria. They, they even made their own temple in Samaria because they weren't permitted to go into the temple in Jerusalem. Right? And that even caused a greater contention because, like, how dare these people now? Not only have they, have they rebelled against God, now they're, now they're not even serving God. They got a pagan temple. They hated them. They wouldn't talk to them. They wouldn't eat with them. They, would, had, they had nothing to do with these people. So when he says... I must needs to go through Samaria. Listen, church, the Holy Spirit was leading him to do something. There was a specific cause for him to go there. Why? Because it was not typical for him just to go strolling through the park in Samaria. Listen, he, when he sent on his 70 and he sent on his 12, he said, listen, I want you to go heal the sick. I want you to cast out devils. Do not go into Samaria. But with his boys, hey, come on. We're going to Samaria. I must needs to go there. You say, why is that? Because there needs to be a confrontation with the love of God. Hmm? Not just to go have the crack. There needs to be a love's confrontation that needed to come. So here, we see here in, um, in verse 5, it says, Then, <clears throat> then cometh he to the city of, of Samaria, which is called Sukkar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with, uh, on his journey, he sat there by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It was about 12 noon. And there comes a woman of Samaria 
to draw some water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples, in verse 8, it says his disciples, they went back into town to get, to get something to eat. Now, Jesus looked over at this woman, this woman that was coming to the well, this Samaritan woman that you're not supposed to talk to, you're not supposed to hang around with, you're not supposed to touch because they're unclean. He says, give me a drink of water. Give me a drink of water. Why? Yes, it was hot. Right? Yes, it was in the, it was in the heat of the day. How many of y'all know that, that y'all may not understand this if you, if you grew up in Ireland? But listen, 12 o'clock noon, when you come from someplace that hot, it is hot. It's when you don't go outside and do things. You do things early in the morning. Right? So he was sitting there. He was sitting there thirsty. It was, it was hot. He was thirsty. His disciples went to, go, went to go get some food or whatever it may be. But why did he begin to talk with her? Well, you'll find out here. Look over and uh, if, you, if you jump on over to, to verse 32 to 33, 34, and 35, you'll find out the disciples, when they came back to him, they said, listen, listen, Jesus, here's something to eat. And he says, listen, I've already eaten. I don't need anything to eat. And they looked around, well, who, 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 gave, who, gave him, who gave him this meat? He says in verse 34, he says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And to finish his work. And then he pops off and says, listen, there's only, you say there's only four months in the season. And then the harvest is to come. And then the harvest is to come. He says, but lift up your eyes and look into the fields, for, for they are white for the harvest. He says, and he that, that reaps the wages and gathers the fruit of eternal life, both he and them that soweth, but he that reaps may rejoice together. He goes, here and I say to you, one sows and another reaps. He goes, I'm sending you to reap where you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you have entered into this labor. Now listen, church, you have got to, you have got to hear me on this. We've got to stop looking that there is going to be another five, six months down the way. There's going to be another year down the way. There's going to be another thousand years, and then Jesus isn't going to come. Then, then the revival is going to take place. We need to open up our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears to hear what the Lord's saying. That, listen, right now is the time for revival. Right now is the time for Jesus to come back. Right now is the time for us to get real with the things of God. Stop looking four months, sometime in the future that's going to take place. No, he's called you to do it, Don. He's called you to wake up and hear what he has and begin to, to participate in the harvest. He's called you, John. He's called you, Taquana. He's called each and every person in here. This is the time. Stop looking for someone else to do these things for you. And begin to hear from him and participate what he has for you. Are any of you just satisfied? Satisfied with doing his will? Hmm? What, what satisfies you? Oh, having a pint at the pub, Pastor. That satisfies me. Oh, big, fat, juicy, juicy steak. That, that satisfies me. What satisfies you? Our king says, listen, doing the will of the one who sent him brings us some satisfaction that most of us, sadly say, most of the church will never taste. Will never taste. I'm telling you, is he enough? Is he enough? You know, people say this all the time. You know, I've, heard people, I've heard people say this is to my face. Serving God, man. It's so difficult. He's taken everything away from me. 
I don't know how I can handle it. I don't know what I'm doing. He's taking everything. I, I, don't, I can't do anything. You know, he's taking my life away from me. I'm going to tell you something, church. The only thing he's taken away from me was a miserable life. A life that was full of death. A life that was full of rebellion. A life that was full of headaches and full of hangovers. I'm telling you, a life that was full of anger and fear. And he ripped those things away from me and said, hey, all you got to do is enjoy the kingdom. Serve me. Participate with me. How in the world can we say these things are tough? Serving Jesus is the easiest thing in the world. Serving Satan, now that's tough. That's tough. Why? I did it for 23 years of my life. I'm telling you, church, it is difficult. Serving Jesus, he's easy. He's easy. His yoke is easy. His burden, man, it's light. But you got to get hooked up with him. You got to stop reminiscing about the good old days, man. I didn't have one good day before I got reborn. John, you know what I'm talking about. Absolutely miserable. Absolutely miserable. Hmm. Good old days are before you. Uh, walking hand in hand with him, fulfilling his will, getting satisfied with him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What verse are we on here? So he said, give me a drink of water. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Because you're going to notice how Jesus, he begins to minister in the spirit to this woman. And she tries to direct everything back into the natural. Everything he says, he says by the Spirit, and everything she says, she tries to pull him into the natural. But watch how Jesus handles these things. You say, well, is that, is that really a big deal? Yeah, because listen, if we jump into the natural with the people that we're ministering to, church, you're, it's going to make you very difficult for you to hear from the Spirit of God, right? It makes us very difficult. Listen, you can sit here in a church service and be in the natural. Man, I wish that dude would shut up. Why are there always long services when he comes here? Don't he know it's Mother's Day? Why aren't we having a Mother's Day service? Listen, listen, church, that's in the natural. And what happens? You're going to miss what the Holy Spirit's trying to reveal to you. You'll miss what the Holy Spirit's trying to reveal to you. So he says here in verse 9, it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that you being a Jew, how do you ask a drink of me? Which I'm a Samaritan. For the Jews, they have no dealings with Samaritans. Right back in the natural, right? And Jesus answered him. He said, by the Spirit. He said, listen, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And then the woman directs it right back into the natural. She says to them, sir, you don't even have anything to, uh, to, to draw the well with. From where are you gonna, how are you going to give me this living water? Are you greater than the father Jacob, which gave us this well and drank here of himself with his children and of his cattle? I mean, are you greater than him? She just keeps on trying to pull it back, pull it back, pull it back. Why? Because she has a relic mentality, kind of like many of us over here in this land, right? It's a relic mentality. Now listen, I mean, people, Christians will go all over the place to see a relic. I mean, they'll go see a statue that's crying. They'll go, if you're in South America, then they had a tortilla with Jesus' face on it. And then the whole world went to go look at a tortilla that's getting mold on it with Jesus' face on it. We live in Ireland. You can go to Drada, which I hear all the Americans talk about. Oh, go to Drada. You know, it's, it's absolutely amazing. You know, they got the head of Oliver Plunkett in the church. They got, they got the head of Oliver Plunkett. So what happens? Everyone wants to come, you know, check out the, the relic that's in the church. You know what the relic does? It draws your attention away from the person. 
It draws your attention away from the man. It draws your attention away from, from the God. Amen. We're putting our attention on the things, amen, that are natural here in this world. I'm telling you, church, you know, praise God for Drada. Praise God for, for the things that are going on there. But I'm telling you, church, go to Drada. Don't, don't, if you're going to go down to that church, go there to see the presence of God that's in that place. Believe God. Pray for the presence of God to drop into that place. Don't go there looking for a, a relic. There's no power in that. There's no power in those things. Seek the person. You don't need to seek the cup. Seek the person. Not the building, not the, you know, seek the person. Not the ark. How I many know Jesus is the ark? You know, see, seek after him. You got people searching for the ark for years. I'm telling you, he's easy to find. Just ask him and he'll come, he'll come introduce himself to you. His name's Jesus. Hmm. Hmm. Verse 13, he says, Jesus said to her, trying to bring it back into the spiritual. He said, whosoever drinks of this water, yeah, they're, they're going to have to have another drink. He goes, but whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him, in him a well springing up of everlasting life. I love how Jesus, he never gets into the natural. He refuses it. He refuses to be dragged into those things. He says, you drink of that water, you're going to have to drink again. He goes, but if you'll hear the words that are coming out of my mouth, if you'll, if, you'll, if you'll have some of this spiritual water that's coming out of my mouth, what's going to happen? I'll place a well on the inside of you that will be everlasting life of the Holy Spirit. That will begin to flow in you and out of you. Why? Not just for you. Not just so you never have to drink again, but so that you can give it to the people that are around you. Why does he give us a well? Just so you can feed yourself? No, so Kendra can get fed. So John, see, listen, church, we got to get into this place. Pastor Kimberly and I were just talking about these things. we got to get into this place where we begin. Y'all, do y'all know where this, the, the Garden of Eden is? It's here. God placed it on the inside of you. Right? He took you out of it. Why? So he could place it on the inside of you. Now listen, church, now with this garden that he placed on the inside of you, we got to grow it. we got to tend to it. Right? See, we always want to eat off of other people's gardens. But listen, church, you need to begin to grow your own garden so you can eat off of it, so it can begin to produce seed on the inside of you, so you can begin to feed other people around you, so you can feed your children, so you can feed your neighbors, you can feed the person at the grocery shop, you can feed the people at university, you can, you can feed the people you come in contact with. But we have to have, to have a garden. It's not, oh, oh, send them over to Pastor Jason, send them over to Pastor Ryman, they'll get them fixed up. No, 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 no. You will have a garden yourself that you can begin to pour out. To someone else. Hmm? But we got to begin to allow these things to, to begin to work in us. He says, the woman said to me, sir, give me this water so I don't have to, so I don't have to go draw. You ever wondered why she said that? Just give me this water so I don't have to go draw. See, she didn't, she didn't really care about what he had, necessarily. She just didn't want to have to go draw the water. Why didn't she want to go draw the water? Because she was doing it in the, in the heat of the day. She was the only woman up there drawn from this well. Why is that? Because all the women, they went to draw the well early in the morning when it was cool. Why? Because they had some smarts on them. She went in the middle of the day. Why would she go in the middle of the day? Because she was promiscuous. Because she was immoral. She didn't want to have the eyes of man, the eyes of woman, or their mouths speaking to her. So what did she do? She went to a time where no one would be around. How many of y'all know that sin, its main objective is to isolate you? 
to isolate you, to separate you, to get you away from the people that can pull you out of the fire and separate you. And see, she was separated. But Jesus desired to confront her. So he says here in verse 16, Jesus starting to bring forth his confrontation of love. See, the confrontation of love wasn't, wasn't where we were at before. This is the confrontation of love. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and tell him to come here. Go call, go call your husband and tell him to come here. Now, let me, I'll mention that. Why, why does Jesus confront us? Does he do it because he's mad at you? No, we all we just read from the scriptures before he does it because he loves you. Right, so he brought forth a confrontation. He said, listen, I'm, you know, we're weaving in and out of the spirit and the natural. Listen, just go get your husband and come over and I'll, I'll give you this. I'll give you this well. That will never dry up. I'll give you this well. And the woman said, <clears throat> I have no husband. He said, oh, well, you, you, you said that right. You know, you've had five husbands, starting to speak by a word of knowledge. You have five husbands and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Yeah, you did say that correctly. And the woman said, ooh, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. What'd she say? Oops, oops, I, I, see, you. I see you're a man of the spirit. I see, I see you, have, you, know, you, know, you have spiritual inclinations on the inside of you. So what's she, what's she beginning to do? She's gonna put on this facade. Right, I'm going to put on this religious facade so, so why I can hide the darkness that you can't see on the inside of me. I'm going to start talking about spiritual things now so, so maybe you won't see that's on the inside of me. I'm telling you, I see this all the time when people, they come up to you and it's like, oh, what, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, well, I'm a pastor. And you know, they take one step back, number one, and then they want to start talking about things that are very spiritual that they have no clue about what they're talking. Why? Because they don't want me to see the darkness that's on the inside of them. I'm telling you, church, it is easy to see the darkness on people. Why? Because the light shines. You can't hide these things. But see, just like man, what does she do? She, she tries to put on the facade. She puts on the facade, puts on the facade of religion. She's thinking that she can get these things hidden. And I'll finish up with these couple verses here. The woman said, I perceive you're a prophet. She says, our... Our fathers worshipped on this mountain and you guys worship in Jerusalem. Where, where, where should we be worshipping? And Jesus he brings it right back to the Spirit again. He says, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor Jerusalem worship the Father. You shall, you shall know, excuse me, you should worship, you worship what you know not. He goes, and we worship what we do know. He goes, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. He says, the time is coming, but it's also right now. He said, when you shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And then the woman said to him, I know, I know, I know. I, I get it, I get it, I get it. But when the Messiah comes, when the Christ comes, he'll explain all of these things to us. And then Jesus revealed to her, I am he who you're speaking of. See, as he was speaking to her, as he was confronting her with the things that she was, the immoral things that she may be doing, what did it do? It began to open up her eyes to see that he was a prophet, that he was a prophet, right? It opened, that this confrontational love began to open up her eyes where she could hear 
this one important word that he had for her, which was the whole reason for this encounter. What is that? I'm Messiah. I'm the one that's coming to redeem you. I'm the one that's not only coming in the future, I'm the one that's here right now to redeem you. See, see you think, see, you look at me like, oh, that, what's the big deal? That, Jesus didn't go around saying this to people. He didn't go walking around saying, oh, you know what, I'm Messiah. Hey, hey, check me out. Hey, I'd look better from the side, take a picture like this. He, he wasn't going around doing those things. He wasn't going saying, listen, I'm the Christ, I'm Messiah everywhere he went. He wasn't doing those things, but why? How could he reveal to this Samaritan woman? I mean, you got the Jews, you got the Pharisees, everyone want to come kill him, slaughter him, you know, rebuke him for, for the things that he was speaking. Why? Because he just spoke with wisdom and with authority and power. But this one, since he was able to confront her and she could receive it, the love, he, he began to reveal to her exactly who she was in chapter 4 of John, not at the end, in chapter 4, to where it changed this woman's life forever. I'm telling you, church, the only people that can, only people that have a true encounter with the Lord can be confronted, can be confronted for a change. But you got to have, you got to be willing to have that encounter in your life. You got you to be desiring to push towards those things in your life. So who was a Samaritan woman? I'll, I'll end with this. Who actually was a Samaritan woman? Because listen, this, this woman was quite famous, actually. She wasn't famous in these days. But this confrontation of love that she had opened up the door for an amazing destiny to be placed in her lap. See, after she got baptized, you know, the, the Orthodox Church, their tradition is that, that they gave her this woman, they gave this woman a name, St. Fatini, which means the enlightened one. She was the one that was enlightened. Now, this woman it was powerful. How many of y'all know that women can minister the word? Hmm? You know that. Women can minister the word of God. <laughs> Another way, I don't care what church you came from. We go by what the word of God, what the word of God says. And this woman, after she left Samaria, she went to Carthage, which is in Tunisia. Right? She went down there to do what? To minister the word of God. She took her two sons and she had five sisters that went with her. All full of power, full of the Holy Ghost and completely began to change the fabric of that city from the inside out. From the inside out. Now, enough to the point, because she trained up her children the way that they should go, when Emperor Nero came into office, how many of you know he didn't like the Christians? He's the one that came and destroyed the temple in 70 AD, right? When he came in to, to be the emperor of Rome, he started wanting to persecute and kill the Christians. Well, well, her two sons were in the Roman army. And their centurion, they came to him and said, listen, listen, I know, I know what your family believes, but listen, you're going to have to go and imprison these people and kill them. But listen, listen, you can get their money. You can get their money if, if you kill them, if you murder them, if you murder them. Listen, they'll, they'll be fine. Just, just take their money, go about your business because it's not going to work out well for you if you don't. Well, they refused those things. They had what we we're, were praying for earlier today. They had a boldness. They said, no, we're not going to do those things. Made such an impression on the centurion, he got saved. He got filled with the Holy Ghost. This started irritating the Roman emperor, Nero, and he called them in. He said, I want y'all all come in. You're going to come in because we're going to have a wee talk about what you guys are doing. So what happened? St. Fatini and her sisters, they all came up in a group. They went to Rome, and they came to Emperor Nero. And Emperor Nero said, listen, are you guys going to deny Jesus? 
and worship my pagan god. They said, no, no, we're not. So what did he do? He was an expert. He was an expert at, at harming people. He was an expert on, what is the word I'm thinking of? Torturing people, thank you. He was an expert on torturing people. So what did he do? He started burning their eyes. Burn the eyes of the two sons and put them into prison. And what happened? Seven days later, amazingly enough, they began to see again. Absolutely amazing. Why? Because all things are possible with God. So they brought all of them together. He, he got very irritated, started beating them, persecuting them, started cutting off their flesh, and then threw them into prison again for three years. And after three years, you know what happened? It became a church down there. The whole place was, the guards and everyone's all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they're all saved. He got so angry, he pulled out the sons, cut their legs off, fed them to dogs, and then took the sisters, filleted them, amen, and then put them into trees and pulled them in half. And then he brought St. Fatini. He said, come on, Miss Fatini, the enlightened one. He goes, are you going to deny your Lord now? She spit on him. I'll never deny. I'll never deny. My Lord and my Savior. He picked her up, beat her, abused her, and threw her into a well. The same place that she got enlightened was the same place that she got martyred for the Lord. The enlightened one. The enlightened one. One that, one that would serve God in any and every circumstance that came our direction. Listen, church, I'm going to tell you, we got a desire for these confrontations of love to come to us. We, we got a desire for the Lord to come to us and confront the things that are not of him. Why? So we can be, we can be like her. This was a a weak old woman that was in a, uh, that was in idolatry and and promiscuity. And this is what the Lord was able to do with her. What's the Lord being able to do with us? We we need to allow him to confront us with love, confront us with things that aren't right in our lives. This is how I'm going to urge you today. I pray for you today. Listen, that you will permit these things that come in your life that you're, the things that you're trying to hide and you think no one can see, that you allow the Lord to come in and, and begin to deal with them. The things, that, uh, the things that you're doing in your life that are, you're trying to mask, you're trying to cover up, you're trying to put a, a facade on, I'm, I'm going to pray, listen, church, that you allow yourself to be open and transparent before him to where he can come in and actually confront these things in love so he can take them out of your life. Why? So you can start to have life. So we can actually start to have a life. You say, well, I have life. We, we haven't tasted anything what he has for us, church. I don't want just a little piece of the pie. I want the whole thing. I want everything he has to offer for each and every one of us. But we're going to have to heed and we're going to have to listen to his instructions. Amen? Amen. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Lord, we thank you, Lord. For your kindness, Lord, we thank you, Lord. You love us so much, Lord. You desire to confront us. You desire to get us right. Not because we're evil children. No, 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 no. Because you're trying to grow us up and train us up into the men and women that you're calling us to be. So, Lord, I pray for each and every person in this house today. Whether, whether they're, you know, a pastor of church like myself or someone that just got saved, you know, this week. May they be a people, Lord, that make themselves transparent unto you. 
transparent, transparent enough to allow you to deal with us, allow that will allow you to, to work with us, to, to rip things out of us that don't belong there. Lord, that we may be shaped and molded in the likeness and the image of our King. Not just taking out the big things upon salvation, Lord, we want everything shaved off upon our life. To where, Lord, we can be, we can be like St. Fatini. Someone bold enough to, to give up their life for the kingdom. One that, that believes you, doesn't matter what circumstance and what situations come and take their place. But we honor your word and we'll honor your goodness. But we thank you, Lord. We love you. We ask you to draw us into that secret place this week. Encourage us where we can where we can make a different turn. Encourage us where, where we've spoken things we shouldn't have spoken. Encourage us to be people that forgive. Encourage us to be the people that love. Encourage us to be people of the kingdom and completely opposite or the antithesis of this world. May your goodness not just flow upon us, Lord. May it begin to flow through us. May we begin to take a jackhammer to that dam that we've made. For Lord, I, I believe this city, this region, this island is on the, on the verge of absolute revolution. But you need us to get in line to where it can come to pass because these things are going to flow through us. So I say, Lord, let us allow, allow us to be vessels. Just as the prophets say, Lord, here we are, choose, choose us, send me. Correct me, train me, build me up, and then send us out to do the things that you've called us to do, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. We magnify your holy name. We worship you. We honor you in this place. We honor you in this place. Oh, we honor you in this place. All right. So, Father, as we, as we exit out of this place, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for all the mothers. Ah, oh, we thank you, Lord, they'll be spoiled by their children and their husbands today. <laughs> and they'll be blessed, Lord. We thank you not only for the natural mothers, Lord, but we thank you, Lord, for the birthing of spiritual mothers in this house. We glorify you, Lord. We thank you for it, Lord. We stand on Psalms 91. It says, no evil will befall us. Neither shall any plague come to our dwelling place, Lord, for you give your angels charge over us to protect us in everything that we do, whether on the railways, the seaways, the airways, Lord, the motorways, even as we're walking down the walk paths, Lord, there is no wicked plan from a wicked man or the devil himself shall come against us and harm us or destroy us. Why? Because we're people that are dedicated to the secret place of the Most High. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We trample on serpents and scorpions and over all powers of the enemy. Nothing, and we say nothing by any means shall harm us. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you for what you're doing in this church. We thank you, Lord, for bringing into this place, Lord, that you can you can indeed use us, that we will not be just a church that's building people, Lord, but you'll begin to use us to infect the culture that's around us, Lord. Toward this, toward this city, this land, it'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. It'll never be the same. So we thank you for each and every one of, uh, of our family in here. We thank you for the ambassadors of Christ, Lord, you've called each and every one of us to be.
Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We are covered by the blood. We are empowered by your word. And we are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.